funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. We deserve this win, man. Fox Sports 5 flying high in Motown. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team to actually get to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like that's that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brandon Nunez. Got Bryant West on here as we always do. What's going on, Brian? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. We're only a couple days away from um, this podcast becoming a, uh, a real predictive uh, masterpiece. Seven days away from a top four pick. Yes. You, you still confident? Yes. Yes. I'm all for it. You've talked me into it. My first sim of the day today, which was probably the first in, I want to say, almost a week. Uh, I just booted it up, and we jumped right up to number two. Oh, God. Um, I just I just pulled Tankathon up for uh, not my first time of the day, but first time of this podcast, and uh, we jumped to number one. Wow. I just ran a sim. We stayed at nine. But <laughs> I, love I don't it. know. My hopes are up. We have eight days at the time of recording until the lottery. And if this does become a top four, jumping into the top four situation, it's going to make our conversations a lot easier. Um, (laughs) And a whole lot different than the one we're having today. Yes, very much so. I was just saying before we pressed record and wanted to reiterate that as we're starting to dive into more and more guys here, it seems like there is going to be that top four of the class. And then maybe, you know, at least for myself, there'll be a tier of like five, six, seven sort of. Um, And then I think after nine or about that point, eight or nine, there's going to be a very big tier. And I think we're starting to reach that with some of these guys today that, you know, a tier that could reach up to 12, 15 sort of players um, that I would all, maybe not all, but for the most part, it's going to be the range where I'm going to feel like, uh, well, I could talk myself into this pick for the Kings and it's just going to be all about personal preference from there. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I think uh, aside from the top four in this class, and then like you, I kind of have a, a five to maybe nine-ish range where I feel really confident in guys. But then from 10 on, it really is in the eye of the beholder. And uh, I think there's going to be a whole bunch of dudes, uh, including both guys we're going to talk about today, that are really, if Monty McNair opted to, to select them, I'd both be uh, optimistic and you know have some serious reservations on. But uh, definitely not going to have quite as many hot takes as last year, I think, which is pretty interesting to say a month out. Yeah. And the, the two players we're talking about today all are Alperin Sigun and Kai Jones. Um, you know, I'm probably saying that first name, I remember that, uh, yeah, first prospects name incorrectly. That's the guy that I dug into more so today, but I, I can't tell you I sat there and uh, worked on the enunciation <laughs> as much as I probably should have. Um, and then Kai Jones is playing in Texas. And I think it 
sparks an interesting conversation. If you're talking about pick nine or 10 for the Kings, what does it take for you to really be considering a big man at this pick, Brian? Uh, Sengun is 6'10". Kai Jones is 6'11". I, I think that you would call both of them centers. Um, we'll dive into that a little bit more, but what does it take for you to consider a big in the lottery? Uh, for me, I think the dude has to have potential to be a real game changer on one end of the court and at least average on the other end. Um, I don't really want anybody with a safe label or a high floor outcome. This is why I think neither of us had lotto grades, I think, on either Obi Topper or Precious Achua last year. Am I right in that? Um, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I was definitely lower than consensus on, yeah. on Obi uh, specifically. I think that both of those guys are a good example here because both of them had potential to be what I think is above average on one end, um, Obi Toppin on offense and Precious Achua on defense. But I didn't believe at all in either of their two-way potential. Um, so that was, to me, the real – they're not going to be in my lottery. Um, so, I mean, basically, the if you're going to take a dude in the lottery, he either has to be uh, a, a near – Demontis Sabonis level key part of an offensive engine. I think like uh, Nikola Vucevic, that kind of level, mm-hmm. uh, or at least that potential. You know, having any of that kind of expectation on a dude it probably isn't healthy, but like that's his ceiling outcome. Uh, then I can get it. Or on the other end, you know, kind of a Bam Adebayo light, multi-positional, versatile defender. You know, somebody who can you trust uh, has the potential to be a, a real playoff center in a couple of years. Um, and to me, looking at the Kings roster, I mean, it's pretty much how my scanning has always been, but the tiebreaker in terms of skills is always going to go to real high-end defenders for me uh, because I don't think Sacramento has drafted one of those guys in a, a decade. Wow. I can't even, yeah. I can't even name somebody off the top of my head. I mean, yeah. Willie was so, supposed to possibly oh, fall yeah, into there that. We go. <laughs> That's pretty funny because I think Willie Colley Stein is a, a ceiling out. What we wanted out of Willie Colley Stein is the ceiling outcome for one of these guys that we're going to talk about today. There's a spoiler alert. Um, but I really think as much as you and I and all of King's Twitter have talked ad nauseum forever about the fact that Sacramento has never drafted a damn forward, with Rashawn Holmes, uh, a restricted, an unrestricted free agent, and Marvin Bagley's future a total question mark. Is the big man position arguably the Kings' actual biggest positional need? Yeah, I mean, especially if Holmes walks, I can tell you I very much do not want Damian Jones and Shemezi Metu to be the center rotation. Yeah. And I just I looked it up the contracts next year to make sure there wasn't some big man I'm thinking of. But no, that's literally if Rashawn Holmes leaves uh, outside of Marvin Bagley, the Kings' big, uh, two big men are Davey Jones and Shemezi Metu, and that's it. And, yeah. you know, for a Kings team that has playoff aspirations, I mean, the, the, that's just not tenable. Um, and I think we talked about during the Rashawn Holmes podcast that there are some names out there. I mean, Monty McNair is not ju- going to just totally ignore the position. So it's not like the only way he can fill out the rosters with this draft pick. But I mean, I, I do think there's a decent argument that Sacramento really should be at least monitoring the big men in this class. It's not a position you can afford to avoid at any draft pick, let alone in the mid lottery. 
Yeah, I think you definitely have to look at it. But at the same time, I'm not looking at that hole in the roster and saying I need to draft a big man with this pick if yeah. Holmes ends up walking, which I don't think is something that Sacramento would do. But I, I think that is um, a tricky situation that you don't want any team to sort of fall into there because, you know, these guys may not be the best prospects. If you feel like they are, then I totally understand taking it and the fit is of benefit as well there. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, when it comes to talking the ninth, 10 pick, it's going to be more so I'm not including guys that I think are horrible fits. And I don't think either one of these um, fit that mold, but I, I don't think there's also a position I'm looking at where it's like, okay, they have to draft this. Yeah, I do agree with that. Um, and I will say if the Kings are serious about contending next year, they won't be starting a rookie big from day one either. Right. Um, but if, you know, this roster was being built with a little more patience. I do think that, you know, both of these guys have a real case to be considered at this draft range. But I, you know, just looking at my my uh, big board right now, I definitely think both of these guys are going to fall into that. I can certainly see the argument for them. Maybe not the guy I would have picked here, but uh, a real case for optimism if Monty McNair selected either of these guys. So um, I think we can kick it off uh, with Alperin Sengun. Um, he's playing for, okay, this is the word I'm going to get wrong. Uh, he's playing in the Turkish Basketball Super League for Busiktas. I believe that's right. Um, and the BSL is one of the most competitive leagues in Europe. Uh, he just won the league MVP award at just 18 years old. He's going to be 18 on draft night. Um, he's either 6'9 or 6'10, depending on uh, who you read. Um, I definitely think he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on when the combine stats come out. Uh, he's per 36 numbers in the BSL regular season. Historically uh, productive, 24 points. 11.9 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 1.7 steals, 2.1 blocks, 64.6% uh, from the field, 19% from three, and 79.4% from the free throw line. So um, I think you watched a bunch of his games, so I'll just kick it over to you. I think that his best trait, clearly to me, is his offensive skill set. Do you think that he has the potential potential to be a game changer on offense. I do. I think if you're talking ceiling, I, I think that like a Sabonis type prospect is, is what you're talking about here. Um, I, I don't think that I would call it likely, but I, I do see it within the realms of possibility, you know, 64% from the field, 67.9% from two over those uh, just under 30. So 29 total games that he played in, in the Turkish league and ended up winning MVP. I think that um, there is, really great finishing and touch and creativity paired with it um, that you see from Sengun. And a, a lot of it has to do with really high level footwork, finishing through contact, being able to kind of contort his body in a way that he needs to, to finish around the rim. He's very patient and methodical. It's not somebody that relies on athleticism, which I think uh, makes you question the ceiling sometimes and why I see him as a little bit more of a risky um, prospect because I think that sometimes guys of that mold get sped up in the NBA and aren't able to play at their own pace, or maybe that just takes a little bit of time, but that's something he was certainly able to do in the Turkish league. Um, and, and I think that 
a lot of what you saw either came out of post-ups, which, you know, you have to be a really high level player to warrant those type of play calls for you. But I think that um, for sure in the pick and roll where he had some good patience, like I mentioned, and then also some, some decent playmaking that he flashed as well there. Yeah, I definitely agree that his passing skills were something that popped out, especially in the later games, um, which is good to see because, you know, like you talked about a whole bunch of his individual offense came from the low post. I mean, he said big dude uh, in terms of strength and size for just 18 years old uh, and his willingness to, I mean, he's clearly a tough dude because he was just banging with adult men in the low post and scoring on them with incredible efficiency. But at the same time, like if that was his main offensive upside, I don't know that that would be so interesting just because how much of that really translates to an NBA offense. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, he like soared up Sam Vecini's recent big board because Sam just kept saying he's developed more perimeter offensive skills. He's improved his passing as the season went on. He's really showcasing a good passing eye. So do you think that's a legitimate skill and one that kind of makes him more of an interesting prospect than would otherwise his traditional stats might show? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he has some of that like European creativeness to him with these funky behind the back passes and, and things like that. And um, I, I don't think that he, you know, I, I've seen some people talking about his potential like as an offensive hub. I want to say Kevin O'Connor talked about it. He has him ranked ninth. Like you said, Vecini's rise on him a lot and has him eighth now. I'm going to be a little bit lower on that. Um, and a good bit of that has to do with the other side of the ball. But I, I don't, I question this offensive hub idea. Um, because I, I do think that that is what it would take to reach his ceiling. Um, but I, and I think that's within the realm of possibility. I just don't know that I necessarily bet on it. Um, but I think a lot of the optimism comes from, he's just a ridiculous skilled player. It, it, you know, there is a lot of these post-ups like you're talking about, but it's not like him sitting there and just trying to body the guy that's guarding him and powering through them, which is not something that you would bet on translating to the league compared to doing that to Turkish um, league players but it's a lot of finesse. Like I said, the footwork is ridiculous um, from him and finishing with both hands, I think is where a lot of the intrigue comes from. And he hasn't shot many threes. He's only four of 21 on the year, um, which is only 19%. But I, I do think there is reason for optimism with 64% from the field, 81% from the free throw line on upwards of six attempts a game. So there's decent touch. And I, I think that, um, he definitely can knock that down from the mid range. So I think that I understand where people are coming from with that potential ceiling for him um, on the offensive end of the floor, but it scares me because, you know, a lot of centers, it seems like you're either, you know, what a $15 million center or a max guy, and there's not much middle room in between. Um, so this is where I, I kind of worry about, I do see the upside for him. But I just don't know that I bet on it on the offensive end. Did you have any, uh, final thoughts on his offense? And I, I guess oh. that there were some, some people you're good talking about him as like trying to create off the dribble. And I've seen like offensive or defensive rebounds and he takes it himself in the open court. I wasn't too impressed in any of those plays. Um, I like the confidence to do it and maybe it's something that happens a little bit down the line 
but I certainly don't think he's a Sabonis level playmaker. Yeah, I definitely think that that is a pretty high expectation for any, um, you know, skill centric big man. Um, I will say that my biggest concern to him isn't act like his touch is fine. His, his passing ability is very good. Um, and I don't want to put any limits on what a guy can add to his offensive game when, you know, he's got such a feel for it when the ball's in his hands. Um, so I'll, I'll start this as a compliment sandwich. He was second in the league in rebounds, uh, clearly strong and physical enough to fight with grown men on the glass. But at the next level, like he's either 6'9 or 6'10, depending on what set you look at. And he's got an average wingspan. So he's not going to be overwhelming dudes. Um, I'm sure he'll bulk up, but it's not like, you know, all the dudes that we talked about. Sabonis is 6'11. Um, Nikola Vucevic is seven feet. Uh, MVP Nikola Jokic is seven feet. Yeah, Nurkic That's, is huge. Yeah. Oh, and Nurkic too. Um, like those are dudes who overwhelmed with size where they couldn't overwhelm with uh, straight athleticism. So that to me is the worrying part about his ceiling, because if you're telling me, all right, here's a dude who makes his money in the low post, but he's definitely stretching his game out somewhat. He's still a big man and he's got to be dang skilled at everything around the basket to make up for a couple inches when he's not the most explosive dude. So um, how worried are you about his size on both ends? Yeah, you know, actually, I think that he has really good timing and verticality. I think he was in the right space when it came to protecting the rim pretty often. I mean, to be playing 28 minutes a night, 1.7 blocks um, throughout those games and 1.3 steals as well. Like, I, I think he had pretty good instincts on the defensive end of the floor and a good understanding again of positioning verticality. He's not fouling um, like a ridiculous amount. Um, and then the difficulty is like, they're playing this really deep drop. He's not really asked to leave the paint. There were plenty of plays where um, if his man was in the corner, he actually wasn't paying much attention to it and just focused on protecting the rim, which could be just part of the scheme. But at the same time, he, really, really struggles in open space. Um, his athleticism is another thing that's really going to limit his ceiling. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's laterally. Vertically, actually, I think that when he's jumping off two feet and is able to get downhill a little bit, he actually was a pretty good vertical athlete and was dunking on people, had some putbacks, and, and like you mentioned, some um, impressive rebounding where I think that comes into play. But laterally, when, he, when he's asked to get in space or – even like a, a first step past somebody on the offensive end of the floor, this is where I'm really concerned. And specifically yeah. when we're talking about the Kings, if this is a big man that you have to specifically scheme for on the defensive end of the floor for him to be optimized, kind of kind of horrifies me. <laughs> yeah. I will say that he was, he's a pretty dang fast straight line big man for his age and size. Um, and like, I agree with you that, uh, his two foot leaping ability is pretty impressive, but though the one time where I really did grimace was when he was trying to slide with a, uh, a perimeter player. Um, and you know that NBA guards are going to go at any young big man. doesn't matter who it is. They're going to attack him, make them prove they belong. Um, but 
in Sacramento. I'm just I, I any sort of hiccup on the defensive end is going to be really uh, emphasized for me when I consider a prospect, just because Lord knows this Kings team doesn't need any more question marks than with him we already have on defense. So. Yeah, I, I really worry that that's an end of the floor where I, I see an outcome where he is just kind of a liability there, unless he's put yeah. in a very specific scheme. If you're talking like Milwaukee or what Portland has done for a long time, um, and yeah, I mean you have to be you have to reach a certain level on the offensive end of the floor to have that sort of catering done to you when it comes to uh, your team's game plan on on the other end. And yeah, well, I, I do think you have a good point, like transition. I think he's really good. I think there is a lot of potential in the pick and roll, even though, you know, I think ideally with Fox, you would rather have a big that prefers the perimeter rather than the one yeah. rolling themselves, which makes, if you're talking King specific fit, also a little bit more questionable. Um, but yeah, I, I see the offensive upside, um, but I, I just worry too much in my mind that there's a real possibility he's a liability on the defensive end of the floor again outside of those very specific schemes and it, maybe it's my bias but I, I kind of think that if I'm picking an offensive oriented big man or a defensive I, I'm going to lean towards the the defensive one nine times out of ten so yeah um I will give him credit I mean he was an 18 year old who won MVP in a really competitive European league and Lord knows that the Kings need more toughness and grit, just like even beyond the defense. Like they just need more tough dudes. Um, you think that's something he could bring? Is he going to be a leader on that? And uh, either end of the floor is going to demand something from his teammates. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, like personality wise, I think on the floor, there definitely is a good physicality to him that I think the Kings roster really was missing last season. Um, but again, I mean, being a little bit undersized, it maybe, um, leads to some question marks there. So I, I think that, you know, it's something that you could hope out of him, but I, I'm don't feel comfortable saying that that is for sure a part of, um, Sengun when you're drafting him here. And I, I feel like I sound really down on him. I still think <laughs> I'm going to have him like late lottery here because I really do see the upside of his offensive potential and, and again, I actually thought that he was a really good rim protector, but it's only in situations where he's already meeting people at the rim. Um, mm -hmm. uh, unlike, you know, we'll get to Kai Jones, but there's a lot of ridiculous <laughs> recovery's um, yeah. because and of athleticism, much, and not much actual around the rim protection. Right. Um, I mean, these two players, we could not have picked two more opposite players to debate today. So. Yeah, totally different. And and just to close on Sengun, I just, again, like I, I sound really down on him, but I do see the offensive potential. It's just when you're talking an offensive oriented big man, um, it, it just in general, is not really my cup of tea when it comes to the draft and, and sort of players in the league right now. Um, but I, I do think that he is going to end up late lottery for me because I, I do see some serious upside here. Like you're saying, um, Turkish league 2021 MVP, uh, he's 18 years old, one of the youngest guys in the draft. So I certainly see the upside. It's just going to take a little bit of time, and it would scare me for the Kings is why I'm probably coming off so negative sounding here. Yeah, I think I'm going to have him a bit lower than you, but definitely in that, all right, I see the the case for it here. Um, I do. My main concern is just like you. The Kings have enough 
dudes on defense that they already have to, you know, construct their roster to help cover. Um, and clearly no rookie, even Evan Mobley, who I think we both consider like a dynamic difference maker on defense at his ceiling, even Evan Mobley or Scotty Barnes, they're not going to make an immediate impact on defense. Um, but for me, just uh, the fact that I don't see two-way dynamic upside from Sengun, like I don't see him really ever being more than an average defender. That to me is just at his size. I'm not just, I'm not going to give him a lottery grade. Yeah. I, I think there's a good chance of him being a good defender at the rim, but then only at the rim definitely leads to a lot of questions. And, um, yeah. So talk to me about, talk to me about Kai Jones out of Texas, six eleven, uh, reported seven, one wingspan, just finished his sophomore year there at Texas and playing a little bit of almost like a forward in a way. Um, even though I, I would view him as a center prospect, I would say, but when you're talking about Kai Jones, what is the first thing that stands out to you and what makes him most intriguing to you as a prospect? I would say his defense for sure. Um, I mean, just first off, Kai Jones is one of the more enjoyable players you'll find to watch this year, both because of uh, the excellent highlights on both ends. Really, he can just suddenly pull something out of his uh, hat on both offense and defense. It's just astounds you. Uh, and then he'll give you a hilariously bad moment going 100 miles an hour the next moment. So he's very fun to watch. But the biggest upside I see is his defensive ability. He's got real serious upside. He's a versatile, switchable uh, big man. Um, his footwork and his ability to shadow ball handlers was damn excellent at times. He can flip his hips on a dime. Uh, and I think he's got moments of real uh, footwork and instinct where it wasn't just a dude successfully shadowing a guy because he's fast. Uh, which he is. He is an insanely quick athlete in every measurable sense. Um, but I mean, I sent you a clip of him uh, guarding and swatting Cade Cunningham into oblivion. Um, and he had a couple moments like that against Cade. Uh, he had moments against both Baylor guards, Jared Butler and Damian Mitchell, uh, where he successfully walled them off. Um, he had a really great one against Oklahoma scorer Austin Reeves. I think he's also an NBA player. So he's definitely a guy. I mean, Texas was happy to swap him at any given moment because even while there were some times where uh, a guy got by him just because they, he's a, he's a raw player, uh, there were also quite a few times where it was like, okay, that's, that's real serious defensive upside, versatile, and what makes him the most interesting prospect to me yeah. of this pair. Yeah, lateral quickness, balance, fluidity for the size that he has, um, totally intriguing. And I, I saw exactly what you saw with the perimeter defense and switchability for sure. Um, I'll, I'll ask, though, like when, when you're talking about such a defensive-focused prospect, what did you think about his rim protection? Or, or first, are you, are you viewing him as a center? Yeah. Um, I think that he will should be optimized to be a center. It's it's clear to me his best best career growth. Um, yeah, but that wasn't how Texas used him. Um, I mean, we should know Texas 
has a the Texas pipeline and big man prospects really did cause a bit of a log jam. Um, their three leading scorers in Andrew Jones, Matt Coleman, and Courtney Ramey were all perimeter players. Um, but the combo forwards of Greg Brown and Jericho Sims and Kai Jones, they all averaged less than 25 minutes a game. Um, so Kai Jones really did have inconsistent minutes. I mean, pretty much any big man did here. Um, so everything that we're talking about is somewhat up in the air just because like you can, you can scout for traits. You can scout for, uh, what a guy can do well, regardless of, you know, serious minutes, but it's, it, he's definitely a raw guy, like full stop. Um, I, and, and to go back to your rim protection point, he's pretty much the opposite of Alperin Sengun in that where Sengun's best defensive moments were at the rim. Um, Kai Jones's blocks were all him guarding a perimeter dude and following them all the way to the rim or him coming in and help to swat a guy. They were were pretty much all in transition or in real ball movement opportunities. There was no real traditional center steps up and guards the rim kind of thing. Um, And for a guy as skinny as he is, uh, like traditional bigs, even at the college level, moved him around fairly easily. So he's definitely got to get stronger. Um, But on the plus side, it's clearly the skill that he takes pride in. Um, And he's really a dude who just never stops moving. And when you see flashes of real perimeter defense, uh, real moments where um, he's, he's really standing up and being able to switch on to some of Collard basketball's best perimeter players. Like to me, that's one of, if not the biggest skill I want to see in a big man prospect that I consider in the lottery. Um, so it was really great to see that. It may take two, three, four years before he can do that consistently on an NBA court. Um, but to me, I think that's his most promising upside. Yeah, and before I transition to offense, what do you think of, uh, I mean, having to wait on a player like that with the yeah. position that the Kings are in? You know, I, I think of, you know, a very lazy comp is Jackson Hayes, right? Another Texas big man yeah. picked eighth in 2019 and still not really a positive contributor on a nightly basis. Yeah. Well, I think Jackson Hayes is in a little bit of a log jam himself, but I think the like the expectation comp is a good one. Um, because a lot of the things I'm saying now were said about him two years ago or three years ago, man, they all blend together. Um, but to me, I don't think that he's going to be the dude that Monty McNair gambles on. Um, like he can bring a lot to the table that they need. Uh, we'll talk about his offense in a minute, but the Kings always need more athleticism. They really need a high upside defender. Uh, but it would require a lot of patience, something I'm not sure McNair has a ton of. Um, in the ideal world, I would like to see a Kings team that would be willing and able to gamble on Jones. I'd love to see what he can become in a couple of years, given work with Rico Hines. But I doubt that's this team. and I, They can't afford to go into a season with a be-patient rookie. Yeah, I wish they were in that position. I, I think that, you know, if they had one more rookie to go with this trio, um, oh, say yeah. Bagley was panning out the way that you wanted, then you would be able to 
take a little bit more of a risk like this, you know, if you were talking um, 14s sort of range or anything like that. And I wish uh, same way as you that I felt more comfortable with that. Um, but I, I would be a little bit skeptical. Um, but let, let's keep talking about Jones. I, I do really like the potential that he shows here. Um, and then on the offensive end of the floor, do you think it's accurate to say transition is where he succeeded the most? Synergy has 75.8 field goal percentage when he was in yeah. transition, 86 percentile ridiculous fluidity. You know, there's flashes of these euros spin moves um, and great mobility for the size and, and uh, length that he has. Yeah. He's a full on terror in transition. Um, and, you know, I keep talking about him as like this raw project player, like the, his skill with the ball in his hands is legit given his size and age. It is not a theoretical skill. Um, like you said, he has legitimate crowd and go potential. He had quite a few Euro steps. His driving ability, at least in college, was great for me, man. Um, his handle isn't tight by any stretch of the imagination, but he's got real fluidity with the ball in his hands. Um, and, you know, th there were real moments on, on offense where he really did shed the project label for me and be like, all right, this is a dude that has excellent touch. And then the next moment he'll, he'll dive bomb into yep. three dudes trying <laughs> to drive to the basket and it'll be a hilariously bad turnover. Um, so it's it, every, his offense is not theoretical, but it will not be NBA ready anytime soon. He's he'd need a full year in Stockton. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about the three point shot? I, I, I think it I, was interesting. I think it's legit. Um, I think his shooting numbers look better than his actual mechanics, but there's real reason for pessimism. I mean, for optimism. Um, he's a bit under 70% for his free throw, which is insanely good. Um, and his low volume on threes, he was 20 of 58 in his career, might mean that his three point rate this year of like 38% is a little bit of a lie, but his catch and shoot numbers were promising. Um, they definitely used him on the perimeter a ton on offense. Like he was a full on legit floor spacer. Um, 32 uh, thirty-two attempts on catch and shoot shots this year, and he ended up in the 70th percentile. Um, and there were a few moments where he was just more, much more than a catch and shoot shooter. Like he has some actual like drive fadeaways from the high post that are just beautiful. Yeah, and reverse spins. Oh uh, yeah. Even if those aren't shots you want a young guy to rely on early in his career, they, they were gorgeous. Um, his shot isn't the quickest in the world, but his length and pop is going to keep it out of the range of many defenders. Um, and then suddenly he'll try a, off the dribble three. That'll either like be a beautiful full-on splash or it'll just be an air call because he moved too much. <laughs> like every one of his weaknesses to me can be ended with he was moving too much. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely some serious potential on both ends of the floor. I mean, is there um, is Sacramento a situation where you feel like he's a decent fit alongside Fox and Halliburton? If you told me that Rashawn Holmes was for sure going to be a king next year, uh, I think Kai Jones would be rocketing up my draft board because I love um, the fit with De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. Like a big man who can, uh, in a couple of years, really space the floor um, and be able to get to the rim in a heartbeat if he needs to, mm -hmm. uh, to crash the glass. That was one of my favorite things on offense 
when dudes were just not even anywhere close to him. And uh, suddenly he sees a shot go up, just how quick he gets to the basket. Like dudes couldn't even turn their head quick enough to see if he was moving and he was past them. Um, and having a floor spacer like that on offense is always going to be a real benefit with the, with the Kings two guards. Um, and on the flip side, like Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox really do need as many uh, versatile, switchable um, defenders as possible. So I definitely love the fit. Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely the mold of what I think people's typical or ideal modern center is in the NBA. And he has a long way to go before he really reaches that. But I definitely see that as a potential outcome for him. Um, you know, I, I think that we're in agreement that Sengun's probably not going to be a guy we're too interested in 910, even though yeah. we could talk ourselves into it. Is is Jones a guy, Kai Jones, that you feel like you're going to be strongly considering if the Kings stick at 9 or 10? See, when, I, when you say seriously consider, I don't know that I will like have him in the Kings range because I... I just don't see it happening at all. He's certainly somebody I would consider uh, if I was Monty McNair um, and try to figure out the big man position in any other way possible for the next two years. But he's just not, to me, a realistic pick. Even though, yeah, I'm definitely going to have him higher than Sengun, and he's definitely a guy that I would be looking to um, and kind of guy I always end up gravitating towards. Um, but realistically, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think that my guess right now, and we still have to dive into more guys here, is I think he's going to end up, you know, when the Kings are on the board, he's going to be like my fourth favorite guy there or something in that range, third, fourth favorite guy um, that I would yeah. totally talk myself into. Um, you know, I'm going to like him more than Davion Mitchell, Corey Kispert, which I don't think some people oh, are going to sure. agree with. Um, for sure. To put you on the spot, Zaire Williams or Kai Jones? Zaire Williams. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Do the, what about the Tennessee boys? Oh, yeah. Um, I guess that's interesting because this is a big fit thing. Yeah. Um, I, I like him more than Keon, I think. I do too. I do too. Jaden Springer's a, a real conversation in terms of both uh, need and skill. And I mean, I think that. Jaden Springer is more likely to reach his ceiling just because mm -hmm. parameter player growth is a lot more predictable than big man growth, I think. But like, I get the argument, which feels weird. I, I, I feel like I'm going to end up really high on Kai Jones when, I, when my big board shakes out. Yeah. I'll say, you know, I'm still going Barnes, Moody, Wagner as my three. And, and hey, yeah. the guys we haven't, we've talked about haven't, aren't really touching those for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it, it is intriguing prospects that kind of are excelling on different ends of the floor that are high upside swings as big men, which I think is a little bit of a polarizing role to be in and probably going to vary through some different front offices. I think it would actually reveal a lot if McNair decided to go in this direction. And But at the same time, like you said, I, I would be very surprised if that was the case with all the preach being the playoffs next year. Um, and, you know, patience seem to, seeming to wear thin. Um, I, I would be surprised if they went in this direction, but it certainly would say a lot about McNair. Yeah, it would. Um, 
it would be a real gamble on his part um and one that i think you could real make make a real good argument for um but i'm i'm going to agree with you uh not likely to happen yeah um i don't know if i threw it out there vicini has kai jones 13th most recently kevin o'connor has him 10th um and then again just for sangoon kevin o'connor 9th and vicini 8th so certainly guys that are going to be in the conversation assuming the Kings stay at 9-10, even though we all know they're going to be jumping to number two in about eight days here. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. We I, called I, it. Just remember, we yeah. called it. It's really all you. It's really all you. <laughs> I just bought in to what you were throwing out there. So, uh, Somebody yeah. said, um, I forget who it was on Twitter yesterday, but uh, somebody said, uh, last time we uh, believed in a prophecy, look what it got us. Yeah, like, the prophecy was right. It just the the person who was supposed to implement the prophecy decided to take history in a different direction. Right, right. So. Yeah, it was so close, so close, so but, close. Well, yeah, until but, he until until the prophesied prince uh, leaves Dallas because he hates their front office. Yeah, quite the story. <laughs> if, oh, if anybody doesn't have any idea what we're talking about, uh, go look up uh, the Athletic today. Uh, their number one story is all about uh, how Luka Doncic is uh, not quite so happy with uh, the Dallas Mavericks front office right now. Yeah, surprise, surprise after, well, you know, all this talk of he needs to get his teammates more involved. I'm like, that's really the direction oh, we decided to take, huh? Yeah, that's um, the direction of this argument. Not Let's, that let's his... defend Porzingis, not Luka, huh? That's yeah, great. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, is there a uh, okay, random question to close the pod? I think Kristoff Porzingis is, is the nightmare, uh, nightmare trade for this Kings team. I I do not want him at all. I would rather they go trade for Kevin Love because at least Kevin Love has a smaller contract, and I think it ends a year sooner. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, the off court stuff is what really is going to scare me away from Porzingis because the only way, if we were just talking about his talent that I would be interested is if it was just an extreme buy low situation where it's like, yep. you know, you're, you're just giving a buddy or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, that feels extremely unlikely. And, and even then, like I said, with the off court stuff, I'm not really too interested in forcing this yeah. now. And he's got three years left on his contract. The last one's a player option, but it's for $36 million. You think he's turning that down? Uh, yeah. and, and even if you'd like, even if you can dismiss his off-court stuff, which you definitely can't, he's like the very last player this Kings team needs. Like maybe his floor spacing is a little big, is a, would be a little helpful. It's certainly always necessary with the Kings guards, but no physicality with his game. He's a seven-foot dude who plays like he's five yeah. foot. Uh, just yeah, no physicality. Doesn't even help the defense. Like I do not want to play that dude pay that dude 30 million dollars to sit on our roster for three years right not full-on nightmare situation i do not blame luca for staring at his roster and being like uh okay i've been here for three years you're about to pay me uh 200 million dollars and this is what we have to show for it yeah did did you also see in the article by the way that there was some uh some rumors that not all of the front office was in agreement on the josh green tyrell terry picks I did, but then later Twitter made it seem like that was all about Tyrell Terry. Um, oh. I don't know. <laughs> Either one. I'll take it. Yeah, go buy low. Kicks. Right. Exactly. Either one of those dudes would be a welcome addition to the bench. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so do you have two guys that you want to pick for the next episode? Oh, let's see. I like doing them in pairs where there's a good argument to be made about them. Um, we could go the old guys. Oh, is that what you want to do with this? Corey Kispert and Davion Mitchell? What I really want to do is Moses Moody and Franz Walker. Not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we have to wait for that. I think that's one of those ones that we have to uh, wait and, uh, and get through the, uh, the less enjoyable ones first. Yeah. Yeah, Corey Kispert and Davion Mitchell sound good. I will sacrifice my time and go watch a whole bunch of Gonzaga tape. Oh, you poor thing. Brian, it kind of sounds like you're into it, man. I don't know. <laughs> he is not going to be the dude I'm going to most enjoy watching in Gonzaga games. Yeah, I'm sorry if I fall in love with Davian Mitchell. I won't uh, for he, the Kings. I won't for the Kings, but I, I may end up suddenly, really enjoying suddenly is Suddenly is set, uh, sixth on your overall big board. Right, right. Yeah. And so. next, year, next week, you're going to be like, well, I think it's a real conversation between Davion Mitchell and Franz Wagner. I don't know. Oh, God. No, 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 no. <laughs> Maybe between him and Springer. Let's calm down. Nobody's touching Wagner, okay? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, if uh, if anybody else has recommendations for the pairing that we do after Mitchell and Kispert, definitely let us know on Twitter. Um, definitely check out all the work going on from the guys at the Kings Herald. Um, content coming out there all the time. And give a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. We'll have more draft content coming your way over the course of the next couple of weeks. And um, if you enjoyed, please, like I said, subscribe, rate, and review. Hear from us again in the next couple of days.